Hi, my name is Peter, and today I'm interviewing Charles Pascal from the University of Toronto, also on the board of many of the world's leading early childhood organizations, honorary doctorates, so many awards I can't list them all, and uh, proudly a Story Park advisor. Hi, Charles. Good to see you, Peter, and uh, thank you for your uh, living obituary. Uh, you know, you're supposed to end that kind, kind introduction by saying, let us pray, uh, but, uh, but, I, but I'm still here. You're listening to the Early Learning Podcast, brought to you by StoryPark. If you want to get in touch, just send us an email at media at storypark.com. You can also watch this interview on YouTube, which was filmed for our online talk show called Mat Time. You'll find this at youtube.com slash storyparktv. So Charles, can you tell me a bit more about um, some of the things you've been working on of, of late? Well, one of my... Uh my pet projects, uh, I guess you could call it a, a sense of uh, vision regarding uh, what we're learning about high quality early learning. And that is, I would love to see some demonstration projects somewhere in the world. Uh, we're doing some work in Montreal, Quebec, and, and Canada, where we had a seamless uh, two years old to 18 years old, seamless institute of learning. We're learning a lot about the importance of curiosity-driven, play-based uh, curriculum and pedagogy, and the importance of uh, intentional uh, leadership of, of young children in our early learning environments around the world. And we're living in a world where uh, drill and kill and being overly conditioned to go discipline by discipline uh, is something that I think needs uh, some attention. So imagine all we've learned about high-quality early learning uh, being carried through to first grade, second grade, all through a primary into high school uh, with, uh, with no transitions. Uh, so I think there's a lot of what um, our colleagues, our pedagogues in early learning uh, are teaching us and the researchers in early learning around the world are teaching us about how all of education should work. It's interesting that in Finland, uh, which has been number one in the world for, for many, many, many years in the international PISA scores, uh, they are, instead of being um, somewhat overly proud about uh, you know, being number one, they are actually retooling what they do uh, in education. So instead of you know, uh, 10 o'clock, it's time for mathematics and 11 o'clock geography, uh, they are moving into a transdisciplinary problem-solving approach where the students in Finland, once they, they, they do the transformation, will be um, learning how to solve problems of complex issues. So imagine a group of, uh, of students working on uh, climate change. And some students are talking about the science of, of, uh, of, um, of coal and, and carbon. And others are looking at the sociology of, of what happens in communities when you make decisions. And they're, they're using the disciplines as they solve the problem. And if you think about what we're doing in early childhood education curriculum around the world with curiosity-driven, problem-solving, play-based, intentional play-based uh, education, uh, it's quite something. So I, you know, the thing that interests me the most is how can we develop some demonstration projects where two-year-olds uh, right through uh, age 18 are part of a virtual uh, system of, uh, of learning uh, using the same uh, pedagogy, the same approach and having the disciplines used uh, and learned as you're solving uh, problems. Uh, there's the revolution for the future. 
And it brings us back to the importance of early childhood. What's important, do you say, and how we should be shaping early childhood curriculum um, for the future? Well, I think, you know, I, th- I think um, the whole area of play-based sometimes is misunderstood um, as uh, just leave the kids play. And uh, at one extreme, you know, you have people talking about um, let the kids play and everything will be fine. At the other end of, of, of the continuum are those who say, you know, they're not going to learn their literacies unless you have highly structured environments for young kids. Uh, well, both extremes, as usual, extremes, uh, you know, seem to be uh, challenging the world right now. Um, basically, both extremes have it wrong. It's creating an environment where young children are going to be uh, at play, uh, problem-solving, but there'll be intentional guidance uh, on the part of, uh, of, of a pedagogue uh, asking uh, certain kinds of, of questions. Imagine a, um, a four-year-old at a water station, and she's got a large container of water, and she's pouring it into a smaller container, and she watches the overflow. And um, there's a pedagogue nearby to say, you know, what do you think's happening? And the child looks up and, and says, um, you know, doesn't say much, um, but then starts uh, approximating uh, changes. And what she's learning there is she's learning Piaget's law of conservation of matter or Archimedes' buoyancy principle. But the amount of, of uh, principles that she's learning, the amount of, of uh, literacy she's gaining about uh, physical mass um, and, uh, you know, how it uh, translates when you're doing this kind of thing. So the, the pedagogue is there to organize the environment, to ask questions, to have little mini dialogues with the children about what they think they're seeing. And that's very, very powerful. And to train uh, early childhood educators and how to do those kinds of things, that's an enormous task. And, and we have to get very consistent. When we talk about the power and the impact on high-quality early childhood education, on social-emotional outcomes, on cognitive outcomes, uh, and economic return on, on investment and things like that. We're talking about high-quality. And if you don't get the high-quality right, the rest of it is nonsense. And so there's a, a really a remarkable opportunity for, uh, for the gains to a society uh, when we get these things right. Now, it's also important to understand that uh, unless we have um, a relationship with the parents of the children uh, in early learning centers as part of the team, unless there's a respectful reciprocity between the kids that the parents and guardians share with the early childhood specialist, unless there's that kind of um, partnership, active partnership, uh, we lose the remarkable opportunity for the big gains because uh, what happens at home has a two-to-one, uh, it's a higher impact at a two-to-one ratio than the, non, uh, the non-home environment. Mm. Well, why do you think that is? Well, the two-to-one ratio is because, well, first of all, it's been proven with longitudinal research done out of the UK, so we know that to be the case. Why do I think it's the case? It's because of the, uh, the power of, of parenting, good, bad, or indifferent, and the fact that they, uh, the, well, kids may spend you know, five or six hours or seven hours uh, in a early learning center, they spend more time uh, at home with uh, parents and guardians and other influencers. So um, you really have to pay attention to that relationship between uh, the parent and child. Bronfenbrenner 
you know, his ecological model uh, talks about the child at the center and all the relationships around the child, including the non-home uh, environment as well as the home environment and all the other things surrounding that child in a wraparound sense. There's the big influence. And of course, the key point for Bronford Brenner is every child needs somebody who's unconditionally loving towards that child. Uh, hopefully it's, it's, it's the parent or the parents. And if not, it could be an early learning educator. And uh, uh, so it's that home environment that's very powerful. Um, one of the most poignant stories that is indelibly etched in my mind, and it's, uh, it's, it's not a, it's, I wish I could expunge it from, uh, from my, uh, my memory bank, is uh, tracking, uh, visiting an early childhood center in Toronto a number of years ago and just watching the pedagogy and just standing back. And I fixated on this little boy. He must have been about uh, four years old. And he was just uh, captivating as he went through some of his artwork and some of the other things he was doing. And the environment looked, looked pretty powerful. And uh, I stayed for the morning. And at lunch, uh, his mother came to, um, to uh, pick him up. And... Uh, as I was walking to my car and she to her car uh, with uh, the young boy, uh, the young boy uh, reached up to hand her his artwork from the morning. And uh, she uh, took the artwork, ripped it up and slapped him across the face. And so, uh, you know, that was a moment where uh, I realized uh, we have to figure out how to develop partnerships, community supports uh, that go well beyond what might be a good half day or full day for a child outside the home. Um, and, and these uh, endemic issues uh, can be, um, be life-changing in this case um, because there wasn't the kind of relationship between the home and the school. Uh, there wasn't uh, question marks that were raised that could have been part of referral uh, to get supports. Um, I'm not hopeful regarding the trajectory of that child's life. Mm-hmm the individual child, um, the relationship with parents, as, as we've noted, um, is everything. I mean, if, if, if uh, those who work in educational settings from preschool all the way on up really have a huge amount of respect for what the parents know and actually create opportunities to have conversations with the parents, uh, it's extremely powerful. And you can't fake that respect. Um, you know, I, uh, there are a few teachers in our part of the world, um, in elementary and secondary, whose kind of paradigm about their role is, we'll take it from here. The children are now at school, and we're in charge. You take care of home, we'll take care of here. Huge lost opportunity because of the fact that um, teachers and educators at all levels, including preschool, have tons to learn from parents. And uh, that deep respect has to be genuine. We can't make stereotypic decisions about issues of poverty and all sorts of things. You know, the example I used uh, earlier about a child leaving an early learning center, a child care center, and um, being slapped because he was showing his mom his artwork, that that was a a middle to upper middle uh, income mother. It wasn't a poor mom who's, you know, who's on her own. So um, 
that relationship with parents is, is critical. And when you have a solid relationship with the parents and guardians as an early childhood educator, uh, the problem solving that can take place in terms of what you're doing here, or what you're doing there, the kind of uh, things that um, are taking place at home that may not be taking place at the, uh, at the early learning center and vice versa uh, need to be shared. And uh, that's where Story Park uh, comes in and um, is basically a remarkable opportunity to, um, uh, to ensure that that kind of collaboration with respect to everybody who's part of a child's life uh, can be uh, co-constructing what's best for the child. And it's, uh, it's magical when it's done uh, really well. So, I mean, you've had a pretty phenomenal career and kind of Deputy Minister of Education, and now you serve on a number of boards. So you've got a very high-level um, strategic perspective on early childhood in the world. Um, how, would, how would that manifest if you're giving advice to an individual teacher at an individual centre uh, about their day-to-day practice? Well, that's a, that's, uh, that question focuses on everything. Because no matter what governments do about public policy, no matter what a board of a, of a large provider of early childhood education decides, no matter what nice things we say in annual reports, it comes down to the relationship between uh, early childhood educators uh, and their peers, of course, uh, but the relationship between that individual and the child. And so it's uh, basically it's about... Um, uh, really being a reflective practitioner, being a reflective practitioner as it's happening. Um, how am I doing? How's this working? Uh, where do I go to, to get help? Um, what can I do to ensure that the, the child is number one in terms of my attention? How can I ensure that I'm paying attention to all the children um, at the same time as a need to adapt to one particular situation. If a child's having a, um, a tantrum, let's say there's a, a four-year-old boy. I don't know why I'm saying four-year-old boy having a tantrum. It could be a girl. I'm being a little stereotypic there. And this little boy is trying to solve a, a problem at his play-based environment at, at a particular station. And all of a sudden, something happens or the blocks fall fall down and he starts pounding the table and he's... He's quite upset. Um, if you think about what the average parent would do uh, if their child uh, broke down and had a tantrum uh, in a grocery store, in a public place, or what too many teachers do, what do they do? They come in and they, boom, they, they say, don't do that. Uh, a well-trained pedagogue is going to understand that if a child's having a tantrum, that child actually has to learn how to go through that tantrum and get back to calm. And so the experienced teacher, uh, after they've tried different kinds of things and they've been to different professional development opportunities, the, uh, the, the, uh, the master teacher, uh, master educator, might just go over to the child, the young boy, and just put her hand on his shoulder. I'm here. No talking. Let the child resolve it. Let the child learn how to self-regulate. It's not self-regulation if somebody says, if you don't stop crying, if you don't stop yelling, um, you're not going to have, you know, muffins and lemonade, you know, during, uh, during the break. So um, that individual teacher, it's, it's a remarkable responsibility, and they need to treat the child um, 
as a whole child in terms of all the assets they bring and to uh, be unconditionally uh, loving, respectful, and to learn about themselves as they coach uh, each of the children under their, uh, under their charge. Thank you. Is there anything left unsaid that you'd like to add? Well, this is very serious business. Um, around the world, uh, one of the emerging issues that you see in the newspapers, whether it's in New Zealand or Melbourne or Toronto or Hong Kong, um, you see stories about mental health. It's just, it's all almost magical and bizarre that all of a sudden people realize how endemic problems of mental health are. 70% of all mental health issues uh, that are they're diagnosed uh, along the way from early to, uh, to uh, seniors and uh, originate in early childhood. 70% of the issues and a lot of undetected activity. And it's, when you get high quality early childhood right, and you have early learning centers seamlessly connected uh, to community services, uh, where there's no wrong door, uh, where if a family enters one agency, they enter the whole, that's a real system. And we don't have totally integrated children and youth service systems in the world. We, we have a lot of places in the world that think they have totally integrated uh, systems, but they don't. They just have each other's uh, lists of phone numbers, and, and uh, we realize that a well-trained pedagogue in an early learning center uh, has a question mark about a child's perhaps learning disability, and we don't expect early learning pedagogues to be experts at diagnostics, but we do want them to raise questions, talk to the family, have you noticed this? And to be able to to refer to uh, to uh, uh, you know somebody who can uh, an organization that can help uh, autism indicators start uh, you know reflecting themselves uh, at about you know a year to eighteen months to two years etc. And if you're referring, if you think you have a system and you're referring to the uh, the Dixon Center for for Autism Treatment and they have a three year waiting list, that's not a system. So we really need um, early childhood environments to connect fully to uh, community services. And um, in doing so, I think we can kind of change the uh, trajectories of so many who are um, falling through the gaps and cracks of a, of a, a non-system of mental health and well-being. Well, Charles, thank you so much for your time. It's been really great to, to spend this time with you. Pleasure. Thank you, Peter. You've been listening to The Early Learning Podcast brought to you by Story Park. Don't forget, if you'd like to get in touch, email us at media at storypark.com. <laughs>